The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Well, like I said, this week will be our last week studying Jesus in the book of Mark until after Christmas. We're taking a break, five-week break. Um, We take it every year to take part in the celebration of Advent. Um, Advent means the arrival, right? It's where we're celebrating Jesus, uh, the, the waiting of Jesus, and then the arrival of Jesus, and then the second coming of Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate that um, in the next few weeks. But it just so happens that as we're coming to the close of chapter 12 today, um, this is ending Jesus' public ministry. Okay, we've been following him now for 12 chapters, 11 months. He's been doing a lot of things publicly, teaching publicly all over the place. The last chapter 12, he's came to Jerusalem in and out of the temple area, and he's been teaching publicly. Today's the last time Jesus teaches publicly, okay? Starting in chapter 13, which we'll pick up after Advent, Jesus will be teaching privately to his disciples. And to just build up a little bit of anticipation... In chapter 13, Jesus spends his time talking about the end times and the Antichrist. So you might want to be here for that. Just a heads up. That's going to be fun. Uh, But today, in these last verses of chapter 12, Jesus gives his last public teaching, and it is once again centered on the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And here's the big thought for today. If you misunderstand Jesus you misunderstand the type of person he wants you to be. If you misunderstand Jesus, you misunderstand the type of person he wants you to be. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Mark 12, where Jesus has been arguing with several different people. Several different groups of people have been coming up and questioning Jesus, putting him to the test. We've seen Jesus being asked, to take a side politically on whether they should pay a tax or not, a certain tax. Jesus wouldn't do it. Instead, he kind of blew up their entire question. He blew up their entire grid. And he said, right, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Then Jesus was grilled theologically on the resurrection by the Sadducees. And once again, he blew their question out of the water by showing how it was based on inaccurate presuppositions. He told them that they didn't even understand their own scriptures. He said, let me tell you why you're wrong. Then he showed them why they're wrong, if you remember that. And then last week, Jesus was asked by a lawyer what the most important law of all the laws were. What is the most important thing for a person to obey? And Jesus said, he answered famously, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love is the highest law in the land. And that love is not a vague feeling. It is not a warm fuzzy. That love does not cancel out all of the law. It doesn't cancel out the Ten Commandments. He's saying every law from God is given out of love. Every law is a law of love. So when our Facebook news feed starts blowing up with whatever the hot button issue is of the moment, and that changes day in 
and day out, it seems. We need to ask ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? What would love require of me? If love is the highest law in the universe, what is the most loving thing to do in this moment? How do we love God and how do we love others in this situation? Loving God and loving others with all our everything is what Christianity is all about. So it's interesting what Jesus does next here. Jesus was great at saying something and then kind of acting it out, all right? So he would teach something and then he would show the implications in a real life scenario. You remember uh, when he cursed the fig tree for being fruitless and then he went into a fruitless uh, temple and then he cursed the temple, right? He's kind of acting out his teaching. Well, he's doing the same thing today. What does it look like to love God and love others in the real world? Well, to really be able to answer that, first thing you have to answer, first thing you have to understand is Jesus. If you want to understand how to love, you have to understand who Jesus is. And so Jesus here, he's been getting grilled. He's been on the defensive. Everybody's asking him their hot button topic. And Jesus has been on the defensive. And now Jesus turns the tide here in the last pericope of chapter 12. And he decides to go on the offensive. And Jesus asks the lawyer or the scribes his own question. Jesus has brilliantly fielded all of their questions and now he has a question for them. And this question is about the scribes' interpretation of Psalm 110 verse 1. I'm sure the anticipation in your heart is just building. I've always wondered about Psalm 110 verse 1 and how they interpreted that in Jesus' day and age. Right? Now, the common, you can see Jesus quotes it. He says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This question is about the scribe's interpretation of Psalm 110 verse 1. And the common interpretation by the scribes in Jesus' day was that David was writing about the, com- the coming Messiah. Right? But here's what was so confusing. In other places in the Old Testament, this is David writing Psalm 110. They thought David's writing about the coming Messiah. But in, mo- in most places in the Old Testament, they referred to the coming Messiah as, Dave, as the son of David, as coming down the line of David. So Jesus kind of poses this question to them. David here in Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord. David... How could David speak this way of his son or of his descendant? How could David say that he's my son and my Lord? He's my, he's my descendant and yet he's my Messiah. How could that be one in the same? Now, what is Jesus doing here, first off? Jesus is trying to show everyone, there's a lot of people watching this, and he's trying to show everyone that the so-called experts in the law don't even understand what they claim to be experts in. We've already seen him do this several times. Jesus is taking one of their most popular texts, Psalm 110, quoted more than any other psalm in the Old New Testament. Psalm 110 is a very common text in Jesus' day, a text that all of them would have known by heart, and he's showing them this verse that you, it's your pocket verse, 
right? It's your verse that everybody talks about. It's your verse that everybody prays. It's the Our Father who art in heaven of Jesus' day. And you don't even know what this text means. You don't even understand that. And this is funny because it says, and the throngs heard him, the great throng, throng, okay, heard him gladly. That means public opinion, they liked Jesus. Jesus made this relig- these religious group of people kind of look insecure or look like they didn't know what they were talking about. They claimed to be experts, but they weren't experts, and the, and the majority of people enjoyed it. They liked it. They heard Jesus gladly. They liked what he had to say. Now, here's what Jesus is saying as we ramp up into this text. Because you don't understand that text, he's saying to the scribes, you don't understand me. Because you don't understand me, you don't understand what type of person you should be. Or because you don't understand who Jesus is, you don't understand the implications of what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ. You don't understand the rules of my kingdom the law of my land. I have a kingdom, Jesus is saying, which he has said already, I have a kingdom of love. And here's the problem. Love is not safe. Love risks. Love endangers itself. And here lies the beauty and the severity of Christianity. You only understand love when you look at Jesus. Jesus wasn't an earthly king. He didn't come in pomp and circumstance. He didn't come setting up a comfortable kingdom that promoted safety and security. Jesus was a king of love, and love is risky, and love is costly. His love led him all the way to give it all up on the cross. That's where we see love perfectly enacted, perfectly displayed, is the emptying of himself on the cross. So what does this have to do with Psalm 110? See, the scribes were only looking for a son of David. They were looking for an earthly king who would come and rescue them from the Roman Empire. They wanted an an earthly kingdom that promoted their own comfort and their own security. So guess what? Because they were expecting an earthly king, they were living in earthly ways. They were expecting an earthly king to come in pomp and circumstance, and so their life reflected a life lived in pomp and circumstance. A life lived trying to impress people. They misunderstood Jesus Therefore, they misunderstood how to live. Do you hear this? Jesus says this all over the New Testament. He talks about what you believe impacts and influences the way you behave. Your faith changes how you live. The Gospel of Mark up until this moment has all been about this big word called discipleship. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to follow Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus and then some down the road choose to be some kind of like special ops Christian that follows Jesus. A follower of Jesus 
believes the gospel, and then lives out of the gospel. They bring in this new information, this news, and it rattles around inside them, and it reorients their entire identity, so now they live out of this new identity and behave in different ways. And what we're going to see here is because they misunderstood Jesus, they couldn't understand the gospel because they misunderstood Jesus, and therefore their lives were lived in an earthly way, expecting an earthly king. They use their religion to promote their own comfort and security. They use their own religion to look good in the eyes of people. To put it simply, the scribes were using God to love themselves. Greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They flipped it And they're using God to love themselves. These scribes wore long white linen robes with long tassels on them. When they passed people on the street, everyone except the craftsmen were supposed to stop and stand in respect. The scribe was greeted with special titles such as rabbi or father or master. The scribe was so esteemed in the eyes of men that when an important man in Jerusalem gave a feast, the first person to be invited was the scribe. Apparently, it's not a Jerusalem party without a scribe in attendance. When they went into the synagogue, the scribe had the best seat in the house. The scribes sat facing the crowd with their backs against the chest that held the Torah. So Jesus confronts the scribes with this question, Who is the Christ? Or whose son is the Christ? How could David call him son and call him Lord? Well, the answer to that is Jesus is both the son of David, he's from the lineage of David, but he's also the son of God. That is how Jesus is both David's son, he's down the lineage of David, but he's also the son of God, so he's also David's Lord. And so here's the kicker. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God, so he's not like earthly kings. Think about it this way. Jesus, as the son of God, sees through the pomp and the circumstance. He isn't interested in all the externals that go along with impressing people. When Jesus says, love God with all your everything and love others as you love yourself, he sees everything. He sees through the show and he looks into our hearts. So, standing in the temple, in front of the scribes, face-to-face with the scribes, a group of people who are doing their best to impress people with their clothing, with their knowledge of the Bible, with their long prayers, Jesus tells them that he is not impressed. Look at it. Verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like to wear something that sets them apart from others. They like greetings in the marketplaces. They like the esteem of people and have the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at feasts. Their religion promoted their own comfort. Their religion got them invited to the parties. 
Their religion got them esteem in the eyes of people who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus condemns them here. Jesus judges them here. Jesus tells them that their behavior is worthy of, quote, the greater condemnation, a greater judgment. This is a warning. What is Jesus saying? What is the warning that Jesus is offering here? Jesus is saying, warning, what earthly kings love, I despise. Jesus, it says, what did he hate? Their pretentious long prayers. They prayed long prayers in pretense. Pretense, what does pretense mean? Pretense is a fictitious or mundane reason that is concocted in order to conceal a real or different reason. So I'm acting like I'm getting God's attention or I'm acting like I'm really honest and heartfelt, but in reality, I want to impress you with my long prayer. I want you to hear me and go, wow, that guy is so smart. That guy is so into God. And Jesus sees through his long prayer and he says it's pretentious. And he condemns it. Jesus strongly condemns any religion that uses God as a means to an end. The scribes were using exterior religion to love themselves, to build themselves up. Religion was a way for them to get what they wanted. Religion was a way for them to get what they really wanted, recognition. Comfort, control, power. They wanted to feel important. And so they were using God to promote their own agenda. Now, how do we do this today? I'm almost afraid to make an application point in this moment. I think one of the ways we do that is we use our religion to pick a side politically. As if one side has the Bible on their side. And then we condemn those on the opposite side for not loving Jesus for whatever side they landed on. Not only that, we use our politics and we use a little bit of religion mixed in to condemn and demonize those on the opposite side. So much so that if we ask somebody on Facebook, what's wrong with the world? Their answer quickly will be them. Who is them? Depends on what issue we're talking about, right? You put we, let's, let's stack some Republicans up here. Let's stack some Democrats up here. What's wrong with the world? Boom, boom. Everybody points at each other. It's interesting because 40, I don't know, it was 30, 40 years ago, a guy named G.K. Chesterton, Catholic philosopher, theologian, the 
newspaper of his day in London wrote to him and said, please, would you respond to this? What's wrong with the world? Please give us your opinion. What's wrong with the world? He said, thank you for the question. And this was his response. What's wrong with the world today? I am. What's he saying? There's some, sin is what's wrong with the world and sin is in me and therefore I am just as much a part of the problem, what's going on in the world as is fill in the blank, whoever the enemy is at the given moment. Jesus here is trying to do something kind of similar and he's doing it by acting out. I don't want to say it's acting out. It's a real-life scenario that's happening, but he's using it to point to, if you don't understand Jesus, you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand the way that we're to live in the world, and what you can do is you can use religion to back your own political agenda. You can use religion to back your own um, cultural agenda. And it's a dangerous thing to do, and he's about to show us why. So thankfully here, Jesus... You know, and there's this big thing out. Christians, we want to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. Okay, but Jesus was also against things, right? And Jesus here shows us first what he's against. He's against external religion. He's against looking the part and not believing the gospel. Looking good on the outside with, with an unconverted heart. He's against it, okay? But let's see what he's for. Jesus also shows us kind of what he loves. He's not the earthly king who condones pretense and pomp. He's a different type of king, one who can, oh my goodness, see into our hearts and into our bank accounts. Did you know those two things are connected? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying your treasure, your bank account, and your heart are connected. Your money flows to what you love the most. And if that thought doesn't concern you, maybe the next verse in our text will. Verse 41, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, so off, opposite the offering box. We have an offering box in the back. We don't take up offering on Sunday, but you can drop it in the box in the back and you can give online. There's an offering box in the back. Jesus set up opposite the offering box. Jesus sits down and looks at the offering box. Let's just get that. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. That is a concerning thought. Jesus has eyes on your direct deposits. Jesus has eyes on the offering box. Jesus has eyes on where your money's flowing. Not because he's in heaven and he's greedy, but because your heart and your money are connected. What you love and what you worship is where your money flows to. And so Jesus takes a seat right on a step and watches people give. How awkward. And in Jesus' day, there were these big horns. 
okay? There are these big brass horns, and you'd come up and you could put money in it, and so you could tell how much money's there. If a guy's there for five minutes, right? This guy's given a lot of money. If he's dumping it in, he's giving a lot of money. But if you walk up and you just do one of these and nobody hears something, everybody knows he didn't give nothing. He's just acting the part. They didn't have cash back then, okay? You could hear it when it hit the bottom, right? I'm feeling a little embarrassed. I'm going to go up here and touch this like I'm giving something. Everybody knew that if that's what you were doing. So Jesus sits down opposite the offering box and he takes a look at the offering. Many rich people put in large sums. Praise God. Those who had been blessed by God, those who were rich, gave a lot of money. Praise God for that. It's how the kingdom of God, one of the ways the kingdom of God moves forward. No one is condemned for giving that. But look what comes next. And a poor widow, let me just stop here. Widows, first off, what a contrast compared to the pompous peacock of the scribe who came in in flowing robes, right, and tassels and prayed long prayers. What a contrast is a poor widow who's one of the most vulnerable people in Jesus' society, okay? What is a widow? A person who doesn't have a husband and doesn't have elderly kids to, to take care of them, okay? There is no state welfare. There is no house to go to to receive daily stipends. There is no resources. If you don't have anyone to protect you, you go hungry and you die. Widows, we were the most vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable people in Jesus' day and age. And Jesus sees this poor widow come in. And what does she do? She put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And it's some of them, they don't even make a penny. It's a fraction of a penny. Two coins, she's got two coins, and she gives them both. One of the most vulnerable people in Jesus' day, she was poor and she was widowed. Her future was unsure. She was everything the scribe was not. See, she barely had the clothes on her back. He had fancy robes. No one, when she went to the marketplace, people would turn their eyes from her because she's probably going to be begging or in need. And the scribe, they greet. She doesn't get invited to parties. She's barely going to have enough to eat tonight. But look what happens. She puts in these coins and Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them. So Jesus sees this and he, this is an object lesson. This is, where, uh, this is where I can teach people about my kingdom. Disciples, come here, check this out. You've got to see this woman. This woman gets the attention of Jesus. And where there was a warning before, beware the scribes. There's a commendation here when it comes to this poor widow. That Jesus loves humble, faithful obedience that lays it all at his feet. Jesus says, 
Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, first off, that should give you an example of the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. That divine mathematics or divine economics are very different than the economics that we have in our world today. That this less than a penny goes down into the offering box and Jesus says she's given more than all the rich people who gave all the sums before that. For they all, he explains it in verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance. They were giving their extra. See, the rich weren't going to, they weren't giving so much that they had to change what's on the menu later that night. They didn't give so much that steak had to be off the menu or the ham had to be off the menu. And isn't that how most of the time we give? We don't give until it hurts. We don't give into a point where we actually have to change our budget and take things off and maybe shrink down the direct TV bill or shrink down the cell phone bill or God forbid, get rid of internet or something. We give, but it doesn't hurt, right? We give out of our abundance. We're Americans, thank God. We have abundance. But Jesus says, this poor widow with her penny less than a penny, she gives more because she gives out of her lack than all the people who give out of their abundance. For she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now listen, Jesus loves humble, faithful obedience that lays it all at his feet. Humble. This woman doesn't have much, but what she has, she quietly gives to God. No pomp, no circumstance. Faithful. Though it's only a penny, it's all she had. And what's interesting, she had two of them. She had two of them. Listen, this is all she had. Why not go into the temple, give one, and take the other and go eat tonight? But that's not what she does. She gives it all. This is loving God with all her heart all her soul, all her mind, all her strength, all her money. When the ESV says that she gave, quote, all she had to live on, the Greek is actually simpler. It says she gave her holon bion, her whole life. Holon bion. She gave her whole life. This friends, is what Christianity is all about. This is how a person enters into the kingdom of God. Hear this. Jesus' kingdom, only the humble, only the poor, only those full of faith, willing to give everything up because nothing compares to him, See, every single Christian in the world is in one way, in one sense, like this poor widow. We love God with our everything. And our everything, we find out, actually the longer and longer and longer you're with Jesus, your everything, you realize how much of nothing it really is. <laughs> how much like a half a penny our everything really is. 
But Christians love God with all of their everything. That's what faith is. It's almost nothing. All or everything is about half a penny. But we empty ourselves willingly and we give him everything because it's all his anyways. That's a Christian. Jesus here is showing us a very simple contrast between religion and Christianity. Religious people go through the motions. Religious people do good things. They go to church. They give their money. But it's usually done with pretense. What is pretense? It's usually done with ulterior motives. They might not even know it, but they're giving because they want to be known as good people. They want to be seen as good people or moral people, or respectable people, or people who aren't like those other people. But did you notice that Jesus condemned this religious person not just for his pretense, but also for his treatment of the poor? Look at verse 40. He says one of this, th- one of this about the scribes. They devour widows' houses. See, there's the, there, there's the connection here. Jesus is talking about the way the scribes treat widows, and then look here. Here is a widow in the house of God. He's connecting this here. I think it's interesting. The scribes, see, they weren't rich. The scribes didn't even get paid for their work. They were forced to live off of stipends and support from the people. And so this led to some abuses. Some of the scribes would befriend weak women. They would befriend widows and they would, people, women whose husbands had died and they would convince them to give their support or give their assets to them because they're working for God. So give your support to me so I can float around the marketplace like a peacock. And Jesus condemns them here, not just for their pretense, but for their abuse of the poor. Jesus' brother, James, will later write that true religion, there's there's religion and there's true religion. There's religion and there's Christianity. There's something that man produces and there's something that God gives us in the gospel. And he says true religion visits orphans and widows in their affliction. What's he saying? Hear me. True religion, when you receive the gospel into yourself, it will produce this behavior if it goes all the way down. You'll love God, and that'll be seen in the way you treat orphans and widows. Who is that? That's the most marginalized of society. The poor, the powerless, those who can't help themselves. But these religious people, Jesus goes off on because they're not loving God and loving others. They're using God to love themselves. All their external behavior is just pretense. It's an act. They're using God and religion and widows to get what they really want. How shameful. And Jesus is showing us here one of the ways that you can see the difference between religious people and Christians is the way they treat the poor. 
the way they treat widows. Dare I say the way they treat refugees. See, this all comes back to the gospel. It all comes to back to who is Jesus? What kind of king is he? Is he an earthly king that came to promote peace and prosperity and safety for everyone in this comfortable earthly kingdom? Did Jesus come to create America? Or is he the true son of God who left comfort and left heaven for a broken world? That he fled comfort and he fled safety and he fled prosperity to come to this broken world and rescue us. See, we are the orphans. We are the widows. We are the refugees who needed Jesus to open his kingdom, to open up it up to us, to rescue us so that we could find refuge. Christians see that. But we might get hurt. But we might be taken advantage of. But it could be dangerous. Paul says this in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves. Can I just stop here and listen? To love God with all your mind means taking all of Jesus and all the gospel into our mind and squeezing it out and to find all the implications of the gospel. How does this political issue work out in light of the gospel? How should I respond in light of who Jesus is and what kind of king he is? I bring it in and I press it down all the way down in me. This is what Paul says. Have this mind among you which is already yours in Christ Jesus, thank God. It's not something we have to earn. It's been given to us. Listen. Who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Think like Jesus. He didn't grasp for comfort. He didn't grasp for control and power. He emptied himself by being a servant and going to the cross to die for his enemies. Paul says, have this same mentality among yourselves. This is what the church should think like. This is what Christians should think like. If Jesus is your king, that's the law of the land. That's the rules of the kingdom. This is the great law of love. Work it out. Press it down in every area of your life, in every political issue that comes up, and how to educate your kids, and all the implications of our life. Work it out. Press it down. We empty ourselves so others can be made rich. We willingly lay our lives down so that others can hear the gospel. This is what it means to love God with all our everything and loving others like we love ourselves. But that's the great difference between Christianity and religion. When religious people see the poor, 
They see someone who didn't make good decisions. When religious people see the poor, they see the other. The poor is other. They're different from me. They're from another country or another culture or another part of town. They didn't make good decisions. They didn't get a good education. They didn't work hard and do all the things that I've done. Religious people see the poor as other. But when Christians see the poor, they see the orphan and the widow and the refugee. They see themselves before Christ saved them. That's the difference. Religious people see the poor, they see other. Christians see the poor, they see ourself before Christ saved us. That's me. Spiritually bankrupt. No hope without God. A refugee with no hope. And yet, someone took me in. You want to be, Jesus has one of the most scary, causes me to hardly sleep at night when I read Matthew 25. And I hear Jesus say, on the last day, I'm going to separate them in goats and sheep. And, and the, oh, that's the wrong hand, sheep and goats. And the sheep I'm going to let in. And when, when I ask, ask them the question, I'm going to say, what, what, what was the question? You remember the question? Well, he's going to say, welcome into my kingdom because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was poor, you took me in. When I, right? You remember this? Remember this? And then the righteous are going to say, when did we take you in? When did we help you? When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. He's so much solidarity with the poor. He says, when you help the poor, you help me. And the ones on his left that he says, depart from me, He says, you didn't clothe me. You didn't feed me. When did we do that? When you looked away from the poor, you looked away from me. That's what Jesus says. See, that's the beauty and the severity of the kingdom of Jesus. Now, what I want you to see here If you're not a believer in Jesus, Jesus is not saying, here's how how you get into the kingdom. Give it all away, and then I'll let you in. Giving it all away is a response to being let in. Hope you heard that. Let me just say it like this. On the cross, see, Jesus is the ultimate widow. Jesus is the ultimate poor widow. On the cross, Jesus literally gave his whole on buy on. Jesus gave his whole life to save poor, hopeless sinners like us. So come to Jesus like this poor widow. We, that's what Christians do. We come to Jesus like this poor widow and we get adopted in and we get brought in. But here's the cool thing. When God saves us, he brings us into his kingdom. We respond. We say, whatever we have is yours, God. Use my life. Use my resources. It's all for you. It's all for your kingdom. But what happens, interestingly enough, is we don't, when we're adopted into the family of God, we don't stay poor widows. 
Ephesians tells us we're filled with the very fullness of God, that we have the riches of Christ. We're, We're made rich in Jesus. But what do Christians do with that fullness? We come to him like poor widows. We're made rich in every way. Thank God. What do we do with this new richness? We pour it out like Jesus did. We empty ourselves like Jesus did. We don't hoard it. We don't play it safe. Thank God we're not like them anymore. We love God with all our everything and we find the broken and the poor and the powerless to bless them like we've been blessed. Love takes sacrifice. Love hurts. Love wounds. Jesus showed us this. This is why he takes the body takes the bread and he breaks it. This is what love looks like. I'm broken for you. Christians, this is what love, how, does, how do you love your neighbor? You're broken for them. How do you love the poor? We're broken for them. We get around them. We help them. We encourage them. We disciple them. We share the gospel with them. We give our resources to them. We're broken for them. It's painful. This is, the supper reminds us how much Jesus loved us. He was broken into pieces for us. So we break the bread this morning, reminded that he loved us this much. And listen, if you have this understanding and this type of king and this gospel, when it comes into us, it changes the type of person we are. Please do not hear me say, give it all away so God will love you. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus gave it all away, prove God's love for you, you receive it, and then we give it all away. You give what you've been given. We're changed by the message and the king of the kingdom. When you take the supper this morning, I want you to think about that. He was broken for me. Where do I need to be broken for my kids? Where do I need to be broken for my neighbors? Where do I need to be broken for refugees? Where do I need to be broken for those across town? Where do I need to be broken for the poor and the widows and the orphans? And obviously, every one of us in this room, we can't do everything. We can't do everything, but we can do something. It's how we live. We pray. Jesus, you are the king who doesn't come like earthly kings. You came as a servant. And if I was honest, for much of my life, I've rejected that. I've rejected the servant king, your humble nature the upside-down economics of your kingdom. And I'm drawn towards people who are more like me, people who maybe even are more better educated or wealthier than I am instead of the poor. And if I was watching the offering, I'd say, I'd cheer on the guy who dropped in the big amount. 
and I'd maybe even look away from the widow. But your kingdom is different. Would you give us eyes to see it? Would you give us faith to believe it? Would you give us, would you fill our hearts with that love that cries, Abba, Father, the love that changes what we love? Help us love our neighbor. Help us love the other. And kill the pride in our hearts that separates us, that makes us walk around and think of ourselves as, the God, as God's gift to the world. I pray that you would break us. I pray that your kingdom would come soon. You give us grace and mercy and wisdom as we take in your body and we drink of your blood this morning that your brokenness comes into us and we walk out with it. That it leaves with us today and we take it out into the world. The way you do life, the way you do business, that comes into us and it, comes, and it lives through us. I pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.